Thank you, choir, for that reminder of Calvary's love and uh, the work that Christ has done for us on Calvary. I'm going to turn my mic down just a little bit. Maybe that's a little bit better. I don't know. It's not. Let's get it a little further away from my mouth. Maybe that'll work. That's better. Um, well, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 as we continue to look at uh, the uh, promise of the king, the fact that Jesus comes to be the king of the world, that he comes announcing himself to be the Messiah, and that he proves himself to be king. And as we get into Easter week, we're going to look at three different instances in which Jesus proves himself to be the king of the world. And one of those is found in what we've already talked about with the children, which is the triumphal entry, uh, what we traditionally call Palm Sunday, the Sunday before um, Jesus's resurrection. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in Palm Sunday that we tend to miss and and uh, glaze over because we're rushing to get to the cross and to Calvary and to, to uh, the resurrection. And so in all of those things, we... We uh, joyfully proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, but in order to understand just how significant Jesus' resurrection is, we need to know what it is that he claims to be, who it is that he claims to be. And so we've been building up to the point where we see in this last week of Jesus' life how he proves himself time and again to be the king of the world, the king that we need the king of compassion, the king of resurrection, all of those things. And so this morning we're going to look again at Matthew chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 12, as we see uh, this second part of Jesus's uh, triumphal entry. So let's read that again. I know we read it at the beginning of the service, but let's read it again and then I'll pray and we'll get into the sermon. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 12, God's word says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And and when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you ever read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise and leaving them. He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray. Heavenly father, as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we know that your word is truth. And we ask that you would work through your word to draw us near to you. Lord, that if there is anyone here who has never trusted in you as their savior, that they would see in this story the king of compassion who has compassion on them, even though they are outcast and lost and lowly. Lord, I pray that you would draw them near. And Lord, I pray that you would work through us to encourage us as believers to follow you as uh, follow your example as the king of compassion, to show compassion on others and to love as you have loved. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today, I want you to see from this passage that the true king that we need is compassionate 
and loving. And we're going to see that in two points this morning. First of all, we're going to see the profiteering of the priest. And secondly, we're going to see the praise of the king. So first, let's consider the profiteering of the priest in verses 12 and 13. So Matthew connects this story about Jesus's cleansing of the temple to his triumphal entry. If you go and read the other Gospels, you'll find that actually Jesus's cleansing of the temple happened on Monday, a day after he entered into Jerusalem. But Matthew sandwiches them together because he wants us to get a connection that he is making between Jesus as the king of the world who is entering triumphantly into Jerusalem to proclaim that he is the Messiah and the fact that he enters the temple to proclaim something, namely that he is Lord over the temple. Not only is he Lord over the world and Lord over Israel, but he is also Lord over true worship of the one true God. And so the prophet Malachi promised in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So in coming to the temple, Jesus was proving that he was Lord over the temple and king over Israel. So when Jesus enters the temple, he's upset by what he finds. So just imagine this scene for me. Uh, I'm going to kind of try to draw a picture of what the temple would look like. So the temple was a, a square structure that had three walls to it. All right, it had an, or three courts. It had an outer court, which was the what is known as the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles was reserved for Gentiles and for Jewish women and for children, and also for anybody else that was otherwise excluded by the law of Moses from entering into the temple. And then you had an inner court, a court inside of that court, which was reserved for Jewish men. And then lastly, you had the holy place, which was the innermost court in which only the priests were allowed to go. And inside of that court was a little, a little house, which was called the Holy of Holies, where the high priest would offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people. So when Jesus enters into this first court, he, this is where all of this cleansing of the temple happens. So I want you to recognize that all of the temple was an amazing structure. It was amazing from the outer court all the way in to the holy place. And it was amazing in its architecture. It was just as beautiful as it could be. It, was, uh, it had fountains and colonnades where people could gather to worship. But when Jesus entered, he found something else crowding out that worship in a place that was reserved for the praise of the one true and almighty God, Jesus found the bustle of commerce. There were money changers who had set up makeshift banks so that they could exchange the currencies of those who had traveled from other countries to temple currency. And they would uh, enable them to purchase things and give tithes in the temple. 
There were vendors selling animals like doves and pigeons and lambs so that people who came from out of town and didn't have the, the resources to bring their livestock along with them could buy a, an animal and sacrifice it there in the temple. And all this commerce was crowding out the worship of God's people. And it was an offense to God for two reasons. The first reason is simply that it distracted from worship. God's people could not pray because of the bleat of sheep and the coo of doves. They could not listen to the word of God being preached because money changers were arguing over exchange rates. But there was another deeper reason for Jesus' anger. This commerce was not just happening in the temple, but it was happening in the outer court of the temple. It was happening in the place where those who were the most marginalized by society could meet with God. And there were three ways that the priest had set up a whole system of marginalizing people through this commerce that was going on in the outer court of the Gentiles. First, they were marginalizing foreigners because they did not believe them to be pure enough. Notice the first group that felt the wrath of God in Jesus were the money changers. It says that he began to turn over the table, uh, tables of the money changers. Now, as I've already mentioned, money changers were men who exchanged foreign currency for temple currency. And the priest who ran the temple had established a separate temple currency that required, was required to purchase anything inside the temple. It was required to um, offer tithes. They had to exchange whatever currency they came with to temple currency. And the reason was, or at least the excuse that the priest made, was that the second commandment required that we not make graven images. But on the face of every country's currency is what? An image, right? So on our coins, we have Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and all those things. And the Jewish leaders said, you know, that's idolatry. We can't allow that to come into the temple. And so before you could enter into the temple and offer your sacrifices or offer a tithe, you had to exchange that for temple currency. Well, conveniently, that exchange rate wasn't always one-to-one. And conveniently, the money changers, you know, they had to make a living. And so they would charge a little bit of a, a transaction fee for you to exchange your money from outside of the temple wall for temple money. And with this exchange, the, the, the Jewish leadership was creating a barrier of worship between the worship of God and the people who needed to worship God the most. Today, we would call what they were doing fleecing. But Jesus calls it for what it is. It is sin against God. After all, the Old Testament law requires in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33, it says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. 
You, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. The second group that the priest had marginalized were the poor. So Jesus doesn't just turn over the tables of the money changers. He also kicks over the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now, I think it's funny the way Matthew describes it because I, I love to imagine this. So I imagine Jesus walking up and flipping over a table and all these coins running out, uh, falling out. And then you've got this poor guy who's sitting there selling pigeons and he's sitting on his stool and Jesus just walks up and kicks the stool out for under him. I just, I just think that's funny if I get it in my head. But, uh, um, but he, uh, he's, he kicks the seats of the money chain, uh, of the vendors who were selling pigeons. Now, a pigeon or a dove was the smallest animal that someone could offer for a sacrifice. In Leviticus chapter 5, verse 7, the law allows that if someone cannot afford a lamb for the sacrifice, then they can offer two turtle doves or two pigeons in the place of that lamb. So these vendors were selling pigeons to foreigners and to the poor who could not afford anything better. They had established an elaborate system to fleece the poor at a time when they most deserved compassion. They used the worship of God as a means to make money. And they put the burden of that profit on the poor. We have that today, too. All you got to do is turn on TBN or some other Christian TV station or some other Christian radio station and just watch long enough and you'll find some charlatan standing up in front of a crowd with the most expensive suit. I say this in the, on the one day that I wore a three-piece suit, but uh, the most expensive suit that you can find, the most expensive wash that you can find, and where they get the idea that they can sit on a gold chair while they wait for their turn to preach is beyond me, but they'll sit there and they'll advertise that you can buy a little piece of cloth or you can send money in and they will pray for you and you will receive healing. And all the time they are using the worship of God to benefit their own pockets. And Jesus would do the same thing with those charlatans on TBN that he did with these money changers and uh, vendors in the temple. The last group that the priests marginalized were the women and children. So remember, all of this is going on in the outer court where the women and children would gather for worship. So to the priests, women and children, they quite frankly just didn't matter. Uh, It was fine to relegate them to the noisy outer court while the men went in to do the important business of worship. And that brings me to my second point, the praise of the king. So Jesus responds to the money changers and the vendors and the priests with three rebukes that I want you to see here. First, Jesus rebukes the priest for their cheap worship. In verse 13, he quotes Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, which says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. In saying this, he rebukes them for having ignored the purpose of the temple as the place where God would dwell with man. 
God's intention for the temple and for all of Israel itself was that he might reign over the whole world by bringing all peoples to faith through Israel's faithful worship. Yet Israel let their concern for power and for profit get in the way of their love for God and for other people. Second, the priests were callous towards the marginalized. In the second half of verse 13, Jesus quotes Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, where God rebukes the priest of Jeremiah's day, the, the, the priest who led to the judgment of Israel and their exile into Babylon, by the way. He rebukes the priest of Jeremiah's day for doing exactly the same thing that the priest of Jesus' day were doing. In saying this, Jesus exposed the priest for their hypocrisy. Now just think of the tragedy of this. The priests were ordained by God to be a mediator between God and man. Their whole job was to bring God and man together. The whole reason they existed was to bring about sacrifices so that man could fellowship with God. They were supposed to make it easier for man to worship God. But instead, they had established these elaborate systems so that it was harder for man to worship, so that he could not afford to worship, so that he would even become angry with God because of the failings of these greedy priests. And finally, the priest cherished profit over praise. In verses 14 and 15, after cleansing the temple, Jesus turns to healing those who were in the outer court. Now, just notice how beautiful this picture is. The priest had fleeced these same people. They had used them for their own power and their own ends. They had taken them, to, uh, taken them for everything they were worth. But Jesus comes in. He cleanses the temple of the, this wickedness. And he comes and heals them. Oh, see the compassion of this loving king. He does not despise the foreigner. He does not rob the poor. He heals them. And in response, the children who are the least remember of all of the classes of Jewish society, they begin to praise him by crying out, Hosanna which means God save us. Now understand, it's important not to miss this. Hosanna is a cry for God to do work. But who are they directing this cry to God to? They're directing it to Jesus. Not only that, but they call Jesus Son of David which is also a claim that Jesus is the Son of God. So at this praise, the priests complain. Notice in verse 16, they say, they ask Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? In other words, what they're saying is incorrect according to our teaching. What they're saying is that you are both God and Messiah. Notice Jesus' response. He doesn't say, you know, you're right. I'll make sure those little children that don't know anything just shut up 
and sit down. No, he quotes Psalm 8, verse 2, which says, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Now catch this. The priests were indignant because by calling out Hosanna and by referring to Jesus as the Son of God, these children were acknowledging Jesus to be God and Messiah. And Jesus' response is to say, they're right. The praise that David prophesied in Psalm 8 verse 2 is the praise of God directed to me. So do the priests join in in praise? No. Instead, this gives them all the reason they need to kill Jesus. He has disrupted their prophet and their power, and he has claimed to be the Lord over all things, even the Lord of the temple, which is their domain. And this is all they need to kill him. So friend, understand that Jesus is not the Jesus of your favorite country song. You see, Jesus is easy to like when he exists to make you happy. We are fine with Jesus as long as He is riding alongside of us, ready to take the wheel. We're fine with Jesus as long as He reminds us of the good old days at the old country church. But are you fine with Jesus when He calls you to give up your way of life to follow Him? Are you fine with Jesus when He calls you to give up your hobbies so that you can be at church on Sunday? Are you fine with Jesus when he calls you to love someone who you just absolutely despise? Are you fine with Jesus when he calls you to forgive as you have been forgiven? Until you are, you are not fine with Jesus. You see, Jesus did not come to be your buddy or to be your mascot. He came to be your king. Won't you trust in him today and follow him as your Lord and your Savior? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the king of compassion. He has compassion on those people we won't even look at. He loves those who we despise. Because Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, we, as His followers, are called to that same compassion and that same love. But sometimes our concern for profit and power can get in the way of our call to compassion and love. You know when compassion gets hard and when love gets hard? When we lose money because of it. You find out whether you really actually love someone when it means that you won't make any money off of them or when you have to give money to help them. If you're unwilling to give up your profit and power for the sake of another human being, then it may be you're not reflecting the king you claim to serve. Sometimes we resist compassion because to do so would mean giving up on our own prejudices. Now, I know 
We're raised to think certain things. We're raised to believe that certain people aren't worthy of love, that certain people aren't worthy of the gospel, that certain people aren't worthy of our own compassion. But understand that Jesus calls us to compassion for those who are marginalized by this world. There were no greater marginalized groups in Jesus' day than foreigners, women, children, and the infirmed. And the same thing is true today. If you want to look at the world of the uh, New Testament and the world that, despite, uh, that, that Jesus is talking about, just look at the world outside of this, these walls. And we are called to take the compassion of God to the world and show what it means to love those the world despise. May we live in obedience to our King and seek to model our lives after Him as we live with compassion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Word and the uh, testimony of Jesus as the Lord of the temple and the Lord of the world. Lord, I pray that we would faithfully serve Him as we live with compassion in our daily lives, that we would love those who the world marginalizes, that we would see those that the world does not see. Father, give us the heart of Jesus as we seek to be obedient to Him. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.